Lord God, you are mighty, you are wonderful. We thank you for this beautiful day, Lord God, that we are allowed to come here and just study the scripture. God, thank you for what you've done in our hearts already throughout this fellowship, Lord God. You speaking to different people here, Lord God, raising comments, calling our minds to thank you, ponder on your goodness and your word, and just to be challenged by it, Lord God. And we ask for more of that as we look in the scripture today, Lord. Help us to see, God, your grace, the power that has been directed towards us and in us, Lord, that you have given us. How we were once dead, but now we are alive in you, God. Help us to uh, glory in that, what you have done in us. And we may give you all the praise and honor. This is our hope for today, Lord God. Open our eyes, Lord. Behold your glory to your word, Lord God. Reveal your truths. Bring us closer to yourself, Lord God, as our hearts are headed towards you. The high waves are in. So prayer, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So I kind of gave you a rundown while I was getting ready before we're looking at looking at the flesh today. That thing that we all can't stand, right? Our our flesh. And when we say our flesh, we're talking about this human nature. We're talking about our our bodies without the Holy Spirit being inside of it. You don't have the Holy Spirit inside of you, you just have flesh. You just have human nature. And so Paul is gonna address that today as he again remember the main point of this is he wants to remind the Ephesians these Gentiles Ephesians he wants them to know the power of God that has been directed towards him and so he's taking their mind back he's looking retroactive and he's pointing out what God has done and he's giving us that he's giving the Ephesians this information so that it will bring us to worship and praise of God for what he's done in our lives and so that's what we find today Oh, for God, I can take this mask off. Mm-hmm. Six feet away. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. <laughs> I'll step back, you guys. Try our best. So we're going to look at verse 3, but I'm, what I'll do is we'll read down chapter 2, verse 1, and we'll go to verse 4. But our, our, our text for the day will be verse 3 and a little bit of 4. So the word of God reads, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Look at that last week. Verse 3, Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But the most beautiful words, here we go. But God, oh, don't you love that? But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We'll stop there. We're not going to go down that far, but it, I just had to keep reading that. It's beautiful. You see with the end result of God's power directed towards us, what it looks like God raising us up spiritually dead to have life through Christ. And so now, back in our main text today, verse 3. I want you to notice that in verse 3, the Apostle Paul, as he begins to switch the topic and to go to, to our flesh, because remember before in the first Verse 1 and 2, he was dealing with our um, 
walking according to the ways of the world, worldliness, we looked at that, and we was talking about also how we were under the power and influence of the prince of the power of the air. Remember, we talked about that. And so now Paul is going to make a shift, and he's going to focus on our flesh, our human nature, outside of the spirit of God having his work in his way. But I want to show you the pronoun switch that Paul makes, which is profound. If, if you notice in verse 2, I'm sorry, verse 1, he starts off the letter by saying, and you, right, were dead in trespasses and sins. He says, and you, talking to these Gentile Ephesians, reminding them, he says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. But look how he makes the switch in verse 3. Look at the switch in the pronoun. He goes from and you to verse 3, among them we too. So now what is the apostle doing? He's now including himself here. He's not just pointing to the Ephesians, but now the Apostle Paul is also bringing himself into the equation and bringing himself and talking about how he, he himself has a fallen nature. See, the Apostle Paul was not shy about bringing up his old life or his life before God or when he walked in the flesh. The Apostle Paul was not shy about bringing up his sins. We know that because we look at his letter to Timothy, for example. In 1 Timothy 1.5, he tells Timothy that he was the chief of sinners, right? He says, Timothy, I was the chief of sinners. And in, in that same voice, he points to God's mercy upon him. So there we see the Apostle Paul. He lets Timothy know, Timothy, I was the chief of sinners. I was a sinner. I wasn't always this big Apostle Paul. How you guys look at me? So he, he's not shy about bringing up his past and who he was. Um, another place we find the Apostle doing that. It's in 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 19, when he tells the Corinthians how he used to persecute the church. That seems like that may be something you want to keep quiet, Paul, or you want to let everybody know. But no, Paul, he's always wants to bring out his past if God can get some glory from it. So, so he does that. He brings out his past. And in, in Acts 22, after he's beaten by an angry mob, an angry mob of, of his Jewish brethren, Paul addresses that same mob by telling them this. He tells that same mob that just beat him in Acts 22. He says, I persecuted this way. And that's what Christians were called, the way, right? Jesus says, I am the way. Christians were called the way during the first period. So he told his angry mob of his Jewish brethren that I persecuted the way to death. He says, binding and putting both men and women into prison. Paul persecuted Christians to death. Think about that. Other believers. He bound them and locked them in prison. Paul has let this angry group of people know his past, his history, what he has done. Do you see how the, the prince of the power of the air was having his way in Paul's life? Remember we talked about the prince of the power of, his, of the air? Paul says his spirit is working inside of some folks. The prince of the power of the air, guess what? Paul wasn't exempt. He was killing other Christians. He was persecuting the body of Christ. He was bounding them in chains. So Paul was also a slave or being used by the prince of the power of the air. He was working in Paul as well. So Paul is very aware of the life that these Gentiles live. Paul is basically saying in verse 3, yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. What Paul is doing when he does that, when he says me too, when he says that we too walk in the lust of our flesh, he's doing something very similar to what Old Testament prophets would do when they would confess Israel's sin to the Lord. They would often include themselves when they made that confession. 
So, for example, the prophet Nehemiah. In the book of Nehemiah chapter 1, after Nehemiah hears about how bad the remnant in Jerusalem are doing, remember in Nehemiah's time, Israel had been um, exiled, They're, they'd been forced into slavery, um, the city and the walls were burnt down, there was only a small remnant left in Jerusalem. And so Nehemiah gets word about how those people are doing in Jerusalem, and when he gets word of how bad they're doing, they're doing he begins to weep. He cries, and the scripture says that he begins to fast because he's so brokenhearted over his brethren who are this remnant left in Jerusalem and how bad they're, they're doing. And, and the scripture says that Nehemiah began to pray this after he heard about the remnant in Israel. He says this to the Lord. He says, let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now. Now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants. Look what he says here next. Confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we, now he's including himself, which we have sinned against you. He says, I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept your commandments. So Nehemiah is aware of his sins as well. He's not hiding them, and so too is the Apostle Paul here in verse 3. He's letting the Ephesians know that, guess what, I'm no different from you. I too was once enslaved to my flesh. I too was once controlled by the prince of the power of the air. And this had to be a big deal to these Ephesians. This is the great Apostle Paul who has a reputation that proceeds him, but now he is humbling himself, and he said to the Ephesians, guess what, me too, brothers and sisters. Me too, I, I lived in the flesch, brothers and sisters. Uh, me too, I was a child of disobedience, brothers and sisters. Me too, uh, brothers and sisters. I walked according to the, to the ways of this world, brothers and sisters. Oh yeah, you, you thought I was always praising the Lord like this, or, or you thought I was always on fire for Jesus like this. No, I had my time in the flesh too. So he's letting these believers know that no, not just the me, I'm just perfect. No, I had my time in the flesh too. I was controlled too. So brothers and sisters, when you are talking to another brother or sister, maybe in a discipleship role, it's okay to let them know about your past life. How you too were walking in the flesh before. How you too were walking according to the ways of the world. What we don't want to do is create this extra holy persona as having never sinned. Because you know we didn't always read our Bible like we did. We didn't always pray like we did. So, so glorify God by letting that brother or sister know how far God has brought you and that they are looking at what grace can do. One of my, uh, you know, always got a Christian hip-hop thing, right? Um, Jackie Hill Perry, she's, she's a Christian poet, um, a Christian hip-hop artist as well. She writes, speaks, all of that. She wrote a really good book that I would recommend. It's called Gay Girl, Good God, because she used to be a lesbian, and she came out of that. And the book is about that experience, and now she's married with like kids, and she preaches against that. So it's it's a really good book. But on her Twitter page, she has this quote, and she says this. She says, I am what God's goodness will do to a soul once God's grace gets to it. Isn't that beautiful? I am, you are looking at what God's goodness will do to a soul once God's grace gets to it. 
So that's why we, it's okay, brothers and sisters, to, to let that brother or sister that you're inside of, let them know how you walk this way, that you did some of those same things too, but by God's grace, look at you. It's God's grace why I'm different. It's God's grace why I'm new. It's not because of anything of me. So use those moments to relate to your brother and sister that you may be discipling, but let them know that I too, like Paul said, I too walked in the flesh. I too was a saint in the different things. So we, we want to be aware of that. But I also want to warn you, my brothers and sisters, of the temptation when sharing your testimony. One of the things that we don't want to do when we're relating with our brother and sister is we don't want to make it seem like we are bragging about our old life or that we actually glory in it. See, I, I come up in communities where there was always that older guy who always wanted to relive his glory days in high school. And he would always talk about how many girls he used to get and how he used to do all of this. Or he was maybe in a drug game where he would sell drugs. He would talk about all the drugs that he was moving and he was selling. Or whatever bad stuff he was doing, he, he would say that. But they would he would say it in a sense where he was glorifying it. Not that he was looking at it with shame. And so that's something my brothers and sisters, we don't want to do when we share our testimony. When we share our time in the flesh and how we're controlled by the prince of the power of the earth, we never want to glorify it. Um, I recall I was I was with a brother and two brothers, and one brother was sharing his testimony to another brother, and I'm listening. And after the other brother was no longer around, the other brother who was receiving the testimony, he was like, Man, it looks like he's glorifying his past life. It looked like he's bragging about what he used to do. And, and that is not something, my brothers and sisters, that we want to do when it comes to our, our past life. We, we want to share our testimony. We want to show people what God has done, but we never want to leave people with the impression that we miss living in the flesh. Now, the interesting thing that Paul does here in verse 3, when he makes mention of his, his life in the flesh, he doesn't just say that he lived in the flesh, but he states in verse 3 that he lived in the lust of his flesh. He lived in the lust of his flesh, meaning that he was doing the desires of his flesh. And, and what Paul does in verse 3 is he breaks down the flesh into two categories. Look at verse 3. He says, Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh, and then he says, and of the mind, right? Our thoughts. So he, he breaks down the flesh into two subcategories. The flesh of the body and the flesh of the mind. So there's, there's two ways that a person can live according to the flesh. It's according to the body, flesh of the body, and the flesh of the mind. And let me give you some examples of that in Scripture. Uh, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Describe the deeds of the flesh. And I want you to notice something. I'm going to look at some of the words that he uses here in this list. We're not going to go through all of them, but just some. Verse 19, he says this. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immoralities. Talking about sexual immorality. Now just this one here, this one deed, immorality, this can be of the flesh, right? 
sexual morality. You can go and you can commit adultery, or you can commit fornication, right, of your flesh, sex outside marriage. You can do that with your body, flesh of the body. But guess what? You can also do this same immorality with your mind, right? You can lust after a person with your mind. So that there's an aspect of your body that you can carry out this, this sin of the flesh, or you can also carry out in the mind with lusting in sexual immorality and giving myself over and watching certain things and allowing my mind to go a certain place. So th there's one aspect where you can say, oh, there's body and there's, there's mind. Let's look at another one. He says impurity, sensuality, just idolatry, for example. Look at that one. Idolatry is largely something you will do with your mind, right? You're going to give something that is not God the glory that is only due to God. You're going to praise and worship something that is not God, and you're going to give them that praise and honor. That's largely something you may do internally in your mind. It's not necessarily a bodily act where you may pray and bow down to it, but it's you're, in your mind you're putting something else higher. You're giving it praise and glory when it should be to God. So that's something that you could say that we are, we're doing with our mind. What is one of the others he uses in here? Um, I'm going to point out verse 21. He says, envying, right? Envying is something you largely do in your mind, right? It's, mm -hmm. You see something, you, you, you want something, or you see somebody else that has something nice, and so in my mind, I'm now envying. I have a, a weird disposition towards this person because they have something that I want, and so I'm thinking about it, mm -hmm. and, and it causes envy internally, right? In my mind, in my soul, there's envying that's of the flesh. Another one he points in here, let's look at one, drunkenness. Drunkenness, that could be the body, right? The body craving alcohol or, or the body craving drugs. When, when I think of this one, I think of like some babies. There are some babies because their mother used heavy drugs while, while they were pregnant. In some cases, guess what? Those babies come out hooked on the same drugs that their moms were taking. Mm -hmm. So you have some babies that come out hooked on meth or hooked on heroin, or hooked on crack cocaine. It has nothing necessarily to do with their mental, but their body is now craving this drug that has been given to them by their mother. That is this bodily flesh that now wants this drug that was given to them through the tubes of their mother. So you have this, this flesh of the body, and you have this flesh of the mind. And when it comes to us, brothers and sisters, some of you may have been more controlled by your fleshly body and others vice versa. It may have been your fleshly mind that was really taking a hold of you that led you down to many sins. So some of you, you, you could have been the guy or the girl who got good grades in school, who, who everybody externally thought was a good, good kid. But internally in your mind, you can lust after a guy or the girl in the drop of a hat. So you, you can externally be good Externally have the working light, but internally the flesh of the mind can have you so in control that at the moment of a second you indulge in the desires of your flesh and mind and you give in to lust. And this is maybe one area that I would say that the Apostle Paul probably fit into this category. Because on the outside, the Apostle Paul looked good. He looked right, but and I'm talking about his life before Christ. He, he looked good, he looked right, but inside he may have been a slave to his fleshly mind. Because we, we see in Philippians 3, for example, in Philippians 3, where Paul is listing all of his bona fides as a true Jew, he makes this, this statement in verse 6. He says this. He says, as to righteousness, which is, uh, which is in the law, he says, me, I was found blameless. 
So Paul says, as to the righteousness which is in the law, I was found blameless. So Paul here is likely referring to the external observance of the law. Paul likely paid all of his tithes. He likely observed the Sabbath strictly. He went to church, if you will, regularly. He probably observed all the Jewish practices of, of prayer. He did all of the external things. Yet here in Ephesians, he says that he lived in the flesh prior to the power of God coming upon him. So he was blameless in the law, but yet he still lived according to the flesh. He looked good on the outside, but yet in his mind, the flesh of the mind was still having its way and controlling him. See, this external observance of the law and this internal hypocrisy of the mind was one of the major problems that Jesus had with the Pharisees of his day. For example, in, um, turn to Matthew 23 where you see how Jesus describes some of the Pharisees. Matthew 23. Look at verse 25 through 28. I'm going to describe some of the Pharisees here. He says, are we all here? So he says, woe. He says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup, so the cup looks good, and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. So on the outside the cup looks clean, but on the inside of the cup it's dirty. The thing that we can't see, the thing that's internal of the mind, it's, it's really dirty. He says, you blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it may may become clean also. Look what he says in 27. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. So look what he says, which on the outside, on the outside externally, appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. So you too outwardly appear righteousness to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So externally you look like you're good, but internally that flesh of the mind, those thoughts, he, he said, you're hypocrisy. It's, it's not true. You have other thoughts that's going on. Yes, on the outside you look good, but this flesh of the mind has control of them. They look religious on the outside, but inside the mind they're thinking it was of the flesh. It was still having its way. See, brothers and sisters, many of us can do good things externally, but when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, because we indulge in the desires of the flesh and the mind, the good things that we would actually do would likely get canceled out by the thoughts of our mind. Mm -hmm. See, in the deadness of your flesh, you must understand this, brothers and sisters. In the, in the deadness of my flesh, being dead in sins and trespasses, Guess what? I can take out my neighbor's trash, and guess what? And lust for them in my mind at the same time. Or, or I can mow my neighbor's lawn, and guess what? And curse him and call them lazy while I'm doing it. See, brothers and sisters, this is why I am not overwhelmed or in awe when a person of a different religion or maybe a non-believer does an air quote a good work. If the power of God, which Paul is talking about here, if the power of God through the Holy Spirit has not come their way, then they are still children of disobedience and they are still living according to the flesh. I don't care how good the deed is. It is a deed of the 
flesh. Imagine this. Imagine if I was working in the dirt, right? So imagine if I was working in the dirt one day, in the garden, which I don't do, but what kind of does. <laughs> so imagine, <laughs> so imagine I'm working in the dirt in my garden, and I realize I need to go to Walmart to pick up some stuff. I go to Walmart and I see a homeless guy without a shirt. The man said he needs a shirt. So I go into Walmart with my dirty hands, and I buy this man a white t-shirt, I pay for the shirt. I don't steal it. I pay for it. I go and hand the homeless man the shirt. From a distance, externally, it looks like I'm doing a good deed. If I'm just an onlooker, I see this person handing this homeless man with no shirt and white shirt. It externally, it looks like a good deed. It looks like you're seeing a good deed taking place. But when you look at the shirts, what's what's going to be on that shirt? Dirt. Sure. It's going to be dirt. Sure, this shirt will be white. But when you look at that shirt, you guess what you're going to see? You're going to see specks of dirt from my hand on that shirt. And that's the same thing with an unregenerated person. Their good deeds are still tainted by the flesh. It's still tainted by their fleshly minds. So you can do a good deed all you want, but if you're still controlled by the prince of the power of the year, if your flesh and mind is still in play, guess what? Your good deed is not truly a good deed. So guess what, brothers and sisters? You can do good deeds according to the flesh. People do it all the time. Many people give to charities. They give to the homeless. Guess what? So that their flesh can feel good about this deed. It's about, again, satisfying the flesh. My flesh feels good when I do this good deed. Let me go do this good deed. It's not so much that I care about the person that I'm helping or I'm empathizing with them and what they're going through, but I'm giving so that I can feel better about myself. Again, it's a satisfaction of the flesh. See, you can even do good deeds to satisfy your flesh. So it's not just the, the, the um, what am, I, what am I thinking about? Uh, it's not just fleshly acts of our getting drunk, or getting high, or, or, or sleeping around, or materialism. Whatever you use to satisfy this flesh may be even a good deed. You can do it for selfish reasons, and it cancels it out, and it's not truly a good deed. Why? Because the flesh of the mind is having a play there. You see this on social media all the time, right? You can find a person, guess what, doing this? A selfie, handing a homeless person a dollar, right? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. We live in it. Go look on social media where people are going to show you all of their good deeds that they do so that you can go and give them compliments, so that you can go and say something about them. It's not about the, the actual help, but it's about the flesh. It's about people acknowledging me. It's about people saying good things about me. You're not even focusing on the deeds. You're, again, you're trying to satisfy this flesh for selfish reasons. You're doing the act. So you can do good deeds, but because of your fleshly mind, because you're still controlled by the prince of the power of the air, that good deed becomes an evil one. So you can do all of those different things, my brothers and sisters. You can live according to the flesh and try to do those deeds, but guess what? If you do not have the power of God upon you, if you do not have the Holy Spirit on you, then you are still being controlled by the prince of the power of the air, even in your so-called good things. Deeds. So that's why you must understand, my brothers and sisters, when you are walking according to the ways of the world, 
you you got you you don't understand how worldly you were prior to the power of God coming upon you. You don't understand how fleshly you were prior to the power of God coming upon you. You don't understand how evil we were prior to the power of God coming upon us. That's who we are. We are simple creatures. And you must get this, my brothers and sisters. You must understand that we, outside of the power of God, we are these sinful creatures. And guess what? That's just part of our nature. We're born this way. We're born. We inherited this sinful nature of lust, this sinful nature of going against God, this sinful nature of doing things that satisfy my flesh. We are born this way. And so Paul, I'll look you back here. I'm going back here. Ephesians. Back to Ephesians. So Paul in 3, after describing the lust of the flesh and of the mind, he says that we were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So as I was saying, we were, were born this way. We inherited this sinful nature, this selfish sinful nature, this flesh that craves the things that go against God, this mind that craves the things that go against God. We're born this way. This is our nature, Paul says. This is who you are outside of the power of God. I think about Lady Gaga, right? She's a singer in our culture. Some of you probably never heard of her. But she, she made this song a few years ago to celebrate homosexuality. And the song was called Born This Way. That's the name of the song, to celebrate homosexuality. And I think as I was sitting about it, I'm like, Lady Gaga, you got one part right. We are born this way. We're born sinners. We're born with messed up sinful sexual desires. We're born enslaved to the lust of our flesh and of our mind. And as a result of that sin in us and that we have lived out, Paul says here in Ephesians 3 that we, by nature, are children of wrath just like the rest of mankind. Because of that nature, we are children of wrath just like all of the rest of mankind. Recall that in my past that I remember I would uh, I would be watching the news and you hear about you know dead in my sins. This is my BC life. I'll be watching the news, dead in my sin. And I remember hearing about a person being murdered, committing some heinous crime. And I would think to myself that man, this again, like I mentioned before, I would think to myself, man, this murderer, this person that committed this heinous crime, man, this Man, this boy, this girl, they are really evil. But the truth of the matter is, brothers and sisters, they are no different than you and I. The truth of the matter is that murderer is murdering to satisfy his flesh because the murder makes him feel good. Uh, C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, talks about how people do evil and wrong because it makes them feel good. They do it because it feels good to them. And so the murderer who goes and commits murder, he does it because that's what his flesh craves. That's, that's what he wants to do. The, the serial killer, that is his desire. So he's doing what his flesh wants to do. But guess what? You and I, we may be satisfying our flesh. Guess what? Through that Big Mac and gluttony. The murderer does the murder, but we're satisfying our flesh through gluttony, through, through Big Macs. Or, or maybe we're satisfying our flesh through 
drugs and alcohol, or maybe we're satisfying our fleshly body through sex, or maybe we're satisfying our flesh through pride and selfish ambition. They are all works of the flesh, body, and mind. Whether it's murder, whether it's gluttony, it's all a work of the flesh. We're finding different ways to satisfy the flesh. So we're all stuck in the same fleshly body and mind. We're all being controlled in our past BC life, if you will, by the working of the prince of the power of the air. And this is our natural outcome. Paul says that we were children of wrath even as the rest. Because that's our nature. That's who we are. That's our flesh. The flesh of the body, the flesh of the mind. And because of who we are with this sinful nature inside of us, Paul says that we are children of wrath naturally. That's who we are. So we're not born children of God naturally. We're naturally because of the sinful nature children of wrath. And when he says here in verse 3 that we are children of wrath, even as the rest, it means that we were destined for the wrath of God. That's what that means to be a child of wrath. We see this by looking at Ephesians 5, 6, where Paul, again, describing the children of wrath, he says this. He said, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So those sons of disobedience, who Paul said, we had our time in the flesh doing the same thing that they were doing. They're destined for the wrath of God. And that's the same thing with us outside of the power of God coming upon us. The nature, the sinful nature of us, we are destined for the wrath of God. Think about Jesus in John 3.36 where he says that the wrath of God abides on us, meaning it remains on us. It's been there. It's not that it's added, but it remains on those who do not obey the Son. So be a child of wrath, meaning you are naturally destined for the wrath of God. So think about that, brothers and sisters. You are dead in your trespasses and sins, walking according to the course of this world. You are under the, the power and influence of the prince of the power of the year. You are enslaved to the lust of your flesh, body, and mind. Your life's natural end would be the wrath of God. That would be it. Just, just, just sit on there and think about that. That would be the, the natural end to your life outside of the power of God coming to wake you up and give you life and open your eyes to see Jesus. Your, your natural end would be the wrath of God. The judgment of God. That's how your life would end. I don't care how great a life you lived here on this earth. I don't, I don't care how good, how rich and famous you were. The, the end result, Paul is showing us, would be the wrath of God. Then, praise God that this letter in Ephesians doesn't end in verse 3. Praise God that Paul doesn't stop there in verse 3 by saying that we were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. If he stopped there, that would be horrible, horrible, bad news. If that was the end result, that the end of my life, I have to look forward to just the wrath of God. That, that would be horrible, horrible, bad news. But Paul doesn't stop there in verse 3. After verse 3, there is a verse 4. And verse 4 begins with, Again, two of the most glorious words that you will find in all of Scripture. Those words are, but God. But God. Beautiful words. Well, so two of the most beautiful words in Scripture. He says, but God. Throughout Scripture and history, men and women have been in perilous or dangerous situations that they could not get themselves out. But if it wasn't for the grace and mercy of God, 
They would have just died in that situation, that circumstance. But God, and that's what Paul was saying here, but God, there's so many places throughout the scripture, old and new, where you see, but God in the midst of their situation. Let me give you just a couple of those. Genesis 8.1, when Noah is floating on the ark, Genesis 8.1 says this, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark, and God caused the wind to pass over the earth and the water subsided. So Noah's just floating on this, this, this ark, all water around him. The scripture says, but God, I love it. In the midst of this, but God remembered Noah. He remembered all the beasts and all the cattle, and he caused that water to subside so that Noah would begin to walk on dry land. Another text, 1 Samuel 23, 14, when David was running from Saul in the, in the wilderness. This is what the scripture says about, the, about David. It says this, Saul sought him every day. So every day Saul was trying to catch David. Remember, he was trying to take David's life. But the text says, but God did not deliver him into his hand. Again, Saul wants to do his work on David. He wants to take David's life. But God is saying no. And God said, that's not, you're not touching David. You're not touching my anointed here over here. It's, again, it's a but God. Romans 5, 8. I love this part. But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Again, you have another but God. Men being sinful, men separated from God, but God comes through and changes the whole equation, the whole situation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except as common, except as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. Right? But God. And I'm sure that some of you, you have your own but God testimonies. I was about to take my life. But God, I was, we were headed for a divorce. But God, I was down to my last dollar. I couldn't pay my rent. But God, but God, but God, but God, he came through every time. We were dead in trespasses and sins, enslaved to the prince of the power of the year, walking according to the course of this world. Our flesh and our mind enslaved us and controlled us. But God came and directed his power towards you through the Holy Spirit, and now you are a changed person. So it's always but God. You know, God, God, God. We had that baby dedication today. Paul says, but God, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love for which he loved us. So now Paul here, in 4, he's given us the motive. You, you want to know the reason? Remember, this whole thing is about the power of God directed towards us. That's where we start in Ephesians 1. Now Paul is telling us the motive for the power of God being directed towards us. Or the reason, and he said that motive that God has directed his power towards you, he says that it is the love and mercy of God. That's why the power of God has been directed towards you. He says, but God, being rich in mercy, the reason that you were spiritually dead and now you have come alive, the reason that you have been snatched out of Satan's trap when you were doing this real, the, the reason you were um, 
His Spirit worked inside of you, but now you have the Holy Spirit working inside of you. It's because of God's mercy and love towards you. He decided to put His Holy Spirit in you because of mercy and love, and that is why you are changed, and that is why you are different. So you have a but God. Everybody in here can say but God. You have your testimony of but God, and it's right here in the gospel. We were enslaved. But God came through and directed his power towards us. It was his mercy, Paul is saying here, that he was rich in mercy, and because of his great love with which he had for us. Now let's just kind of dig into this, this word mercy a little bit, and we'll talk about love slightly, and we'll end here. But he says, but God being rich in mercy, being abundant in mercy. How do we define mercy? Well, Mercy, in one sense, you can look at it from a judicial standpoint, right? When, when, from, a, from a judicial standpoint, a person begging for mercy means that the person is guilty. So in a court setting, when a person is guilty of a crime, they know they've transgressed the law, they know that they've done wrong, they know they can't appeal to the law because they broke the law. And so since they can't appeal to any law, all they can do now is go to the judge, to go to your honor and say, I'm guilty of the charges. I'm guilty of what I've done. I've broken the law, but all I'm asking for is mercy. See, that's what mercy is. Mercy is not law. You don't want law. You don't want justice. You're asking for mercy. You're saying that I am guilty. I am wrong. I'm against, I've gone against you, God, but I'm asking for mercy. And that's what God has given us here. We have transgressed God's laws. We are guilty of the crimes. We deserve the wrath of God. But yet God, in a judicial sense, is having mercy upon us by sending his son to be our substitute. See, that's the mercy of God. But there's, a, there's another side of mercy as well. There's mercy also when we are seeing a person in need, when we are seeing a person that is broken. And even though we don't owe this person anything, yet because we see that they are in need, we act upon them. And that's also what God is doing. He sees us as child of disobedience. He sees us in a snare of the enemy. And yet he goes down and he has mercy upon us. He, he sees us falling in our own sin and just rolling around in the muck of sin and, and just all the gross and disgusting things that we have done in our past life before Christ and yet he comes and he gives us mercy even though we don't deserve mercy. See, it was mercy. We all, my brothers and sisters, we were these children of disobedience and we were deserving the wrath of God yet he comes down and has mercy. That's beautiful. That's what we got from our Lord. It's mercy. And not only mercy, but it says that this mercy was directed through love. So it was love that sent mercy, that sent the power of God to go and set us free from the trap of the evil one. Do you, you see how this is all working? Love was ultimately the thing that, that is coming through, that's shining through. And through that love, God sends his mercy. And through that mercy comes the empowering or the powering of the Holy Spirit upon our life to be able to change us and to set us free from the chains and bondage of sin and of our flesh, the body and the mind and the, the prince of the power of the air. That is all mercy. That is all love. That is all God. And that's the point that Paul is making here. Love said mercy. Mercy said power. And the reason we're alive now is because of what God has done. We were children of disobedience, brothers and sisters. We were destined for the wrath of God. But God came, put his power upon us. 
chose you from the foundation of the world, put his spirit inside of you, and now you're alive. It should lead you to praising the Lord. This should put a praise, this should put a song in your spirit. When you realize who you were enslaved to, we talked about how powerful this enemy was, how we were in his trap, we were, we were blind, we were naked, we were dumb, but yet God came for grace and mercy and saved us. This should lead you to praise, my brothers and sisters. This should lead you to reflecting on God's goodness towards you. You should put a hallelujah and a shout in your mouth as you reflect on the goodness of the Lord. That's ultimately what Paul is trying to get you to see. Paul ultimately wants God glorified. And he's pointing well to your past, that you were dead in sins, and yet God's grace and power came upon you and gave you life. And that should result in you praising the Lord. So we're going to stop here. Um, next time I'm up, we'll dig more into four. So we're going to hit four again because there's so much in here. I really want to dig more into it. But I just want to lightly tap it today. But I hope this text, as you look at the world, the flesh, the devil, all who you were enslaved to, down by the power of God, you have freedom over that. Praise the Lord for my brothers and sisters. Praise God. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for taking us from the kingdom of darkness, God, and putting us in the kingdom of your dear Son, Lord, loosening the chains, freeing our mind, Lord God, giving us your spirit to overcome this flesh and mind. Thank you, Lord, for your power that is on us, God. You're so good, Lord. We thank you, Lord. You open our eyes to see you, to know you. Thank you, God, that we are on your thoughts, we are on your mind. So good, Lord. Praise you for your power. We thank you for this newness of life, Lord. We are truly new creations. New creations, new creatures because of you and your power. Amen. You get all the glory, Lord God. Our hallelujah is to you, Lord. God, I pray that you bless my brothers and sisters on today. God, allow this word to stay upon their hearts and they reflect on the past and what you have brought them to through. They reflect on the power of God directed their way, God. Oh God, I pray that you impress on the hearts and minds of my brothers and sisters here that they are not a slave to their flesh anymore. They're no longer a slave to their mind, Lord God. But that they have power, your power working in them and through them. And they get conquered through you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless your word. In Jesus' name, amen.